0: So when I, I step back and say, when well, most leaders say to me, well, how do I predict in this environment? The answer is, well, first lesson is you stop trying to predict. What you do instead is understand that forecasting is almost dead as a as a tool. You still need to do it, because, but you need to do many, many, many forecast scenarios to try and embrace the range of possible outcomes that could come your way.
1: Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Okay, my guest on today's episode of the Inspire Podcast is someone that I'm very excited to talk to. It's Stephen Paulos, and, and the name will likely be familiar, though it's been almost two years he served as the governor of the Bank of Canada. And certainly has been keeping busy in the two years since retirement. Today, he serves on several major corporate boards, and he also is a special advisor at the um, prestigious law firm of Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt. But the real reason I have him on today and the reason we connected is that he is also an author. Uh, Stephen has recently published The Next Age of Uncertainty. Subtitles subtitle is How the World Can Adapt to a Riskier Future. And I had the great pleasure of um, hearing you speak about the book and about the realities these um, five forces we're going to talk about in a moment are placing incredible uh, pressure on the world and, and consequently on leaders so really excited to have you on the podcast talk about your new book and talk about how it's redefining how leaders should go forward and inspire so steve welcome to the podcast
0: oh great to be here Bart. thanks very much for having me
1: yeah. Th- thanks for coming. And uh, thanks for writing this great book. Uh, I'm holding it here in my hand. And uh, and thanks also, by the way, for reading my book, too. Or I was really touched by that. I think we, we connected. And one of the things I loved about your book and when I heard you speak is the lack of jargon, the clear thinking that comes through. You know, I keep looking for acronyms. I keep looking for uh, you know for for jargon. I I can't find them, which is which is rare. So kudos to you for writing such a clear and well done book that's so easy to uh, to understand. Tell tell me what led you to write the book.
0: Well, you know, I mean, one of the things that uh, made me do this was I was in COVID and uh, you know the the shutdown and. Here I was uh, newly retired, and and there was nothing to do. Uh, I mean, if you were traveling all over the place, I'm not sure that this book might have happened. Although I've always had had one in me, I think. Hmm. And um, what I what I was interested in contributing to was the conversation around short termism uh, in companies. Hmm you know, the whole notion of meeting your numbers, which is, you know, really connects well to your leadership themes. Mm. Um, you know, corporations wake up every morning thinking, well, I've only got a few more weeks to right. make my numbers, you know, and uh, and, and you know, maybe losing sight of longer term uh, strategies and risks. And so anyway, uh, I thought I could make a contribution to that. And uh, so I started thinking about some of the longer-term things that companies should be basing their decision-making on and never forgetting. And we think of them as constants, as economists. Uh, mm. we, we kind of think of the economy as if it's a bobblehead doll, you know, <laughs> that uh, is always wobbling around. But we know if we leave it alone, it'll stop, you know.
2: Mm.
0: And that's the long-term notion that underlies all economic models. And I realize that many of the things that we think of as constants aren't. Hmm. And like what these are, like what would be well, hmm. well like demographics take most obvious example we you know i both know that demographics aren't a constant because hmm. we're going to be an old a year older next
2: mm-hmm. year right. right right right
0: and and but but you know that's that's you know, economist humor but but i think the
1: i found it the funny thing
0: is, <laughs> <laughs> the thing about that is that uh economists are usually making a forecast that's a couple years ahead and they don't care about demographics i mean the demographic factor is not going to matter over that two years. But when you're running a company and making investments that are going to last 10 years or 20 years or sometimes even longer, uh, demographics actually matter a lot. And they matter a lot now because they're moving rapidly now. And they haven't moved rapidly since the late 60s and early 1970s. So that's one of the forces in the book. And I just realized there's several of these that we don't really think about, but actually are really in motion today hmm. and matter to that longer term planning that's how so the book was accidental in a way you hmm. know like the, the way it took me because i thought i was going to talk about constants mm-hmm. and i ended up talking about forces that are in motion yeah well
1: and, and some people bake sourdough in covid you baked a book <laughs> so, <laughs> so 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 <laughs> kudos on that but yeah i think you know look uh, when i you know i've had the I've been in business and coaching leaders and working with executives and leadership for two decades. And I I can say that, you know, your book resonated with me, this concept of these five tectonic forces, because it's never felt more unpredictable. And those constants you, you refer to, which are shifting, so which really aren't constants. I think are causing leaders to have to deal with this upheaval. And I I think about people who say, oh, you know, we'll wait till we just get back to normal, right? And that they're, you know, just when Mm -hmm. now we're here in the pandemic, hopefully as we're recording, this is receding. Let's hope that's kind of the end of the acute phase. And yet it feels like these forces are still causing so much challenge. So maybe take, take us through the five. You know, what are the five big forces right now? I know four negative, one's positive that are, affecting us, our world, and leaders?
0: Well, the first one uh, is, is the one I just mentioned, which is a demographic. Really, to be more precise about it, population aging. Mm-hmm. The uh, fact is that uh, the, the demographic structure around the world has been relatively constant for the past 50 years, the reason being that there was a major influx of new births after, the, after World War II, and that baby boom bulge, you know, lasted until for about fifty years and participation in the workforce. And now people like me are all retiring and falling out. So like picture this great big mountain of people that came in and now they're sliding down the hmm. other side. And so it's been tranquil as an economist, you don't have to think about it much while people are in there. But now we need to think about it more now that they're leaving. The second one is the positive one. That's technological progress. It's always there, every day. But historically, since the beginning of uh, economic history, there really been three major waves of what we call general-purpose technologies. Uh, those are what we call industrial revolutions. That's the mm-hmm. steam engine in the 1800s, electrification in the 1900s, the computer chip in the 1980s and mm-hmm. into the 90s. And now we face the fourth one. The fourth industrial revolution is the digitization of everything, and that means uh, artificial intelligence, massive advances in biotechnology, and so on, could even be bigger than the uh, than the computer chip revolution. Mm. The third force is growing income inequality. Uh, you know, more of the
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm being left behind kind of sentiment. Uh, usually this is a side effect of an industrial revolution. And over the past 10 years, 70% of the world's population has seen a worsening in the income distribution. And so that sense of being left behind is pretty common, and it means that a lot of people are getting a little bit uh, belligerent, and it becomes politics. That's what you see as populism and you know mm-hmm. Office, mm-hmm. Trump, Trumpism, if you like. Uh, that's where that uh, was coming from. Uh, the fourth one everybody knows about, that's rising debt. Debt mm-hmm. just goes up and up and up. And by the way, governments are now, the world governments are about as indebted today as they were at the end of World War II. Hmm. So certainly a force to be reckoned with. And the fifth one is more of a modern day force. Uh, It's always been there, but we we give it a huge recognition today, and that's climate change, but more specifically, the forced energy transition to Hmm. net zero by 2050. That'll be a highly disruptive overlay, one that we really don't know what it will look like. We just hear about this destination and every company has its own plan but there are a lot of different paths to get there so it's a major source of uncertainty and of course as, as we were talking a moment ago volatility along the way
1: so when you when you look at leaders now what does what do these forces all mean uh for people who have to kind of lead in this uncertainty, in this increased volatility? How should they begin thinking differently uh, now?
0: The important point here, Bart, is uh, I mean, any leader could think could sit back after hearing that and say, yeah, demographics. Okay, I hadn't really thought about that much. Yeah. Well, how would the aging workforce affect me? oh, maybe I'll have more trouble getting the workers I need. You know, I'm having trouble mm-hmm. lately. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not all of a sudden going to get better. Maybe it's actually going to get worse. And the, actual, the answer is yes, it mm-hmm. will. So, I mean, every company would be taking, you know, start to thinking about that by, by necessity soon, but better to be ahead of it. This is, a, this is an example. But what I think is more important is that these five forces have a lot of potential to interact with each hmm. other. And give us not just plain vanilla kind of strategies, but actually what I call in the book chaotic outcomes—things we simply can't explain. Mm. Uh, the, the mathematics of chaos, which is related to the—you've heard of the butterfly? Uh, but yes,
1: absolutely. That, yeah, where you flap? What uh, so, the flap of a butterfly? I think it was in Brazil changes the currents and ultimately what's what was the end unintended it was uh
0: it causes a tornado in texas right that's right uh, that's That's the original story and you know when you're flying in a plane and everything's perfectly clear and there's no weather around and yet there's random turbulence Hmm. Uh, how how does that happen well engineers and mathematicians will tell you that there are nonlinear. Elements to your system. The system you're in, Hmm. weather is obviously very nonlinear. And of course, the curve on the airplane uh, wing is very nonlinear. So these nonlinear interactions in engineering systems or in economic models uh, give rise to completely inexplicable Hmm. volatility. So if the forces are growing in intensity right now and interacting with each other, we might have much higher risk of having a volatile future, uh, more uh, like a trend rise in volatility. The kind of volatility that we would remember as, let's say, the Victorian Depression Hmm. or the global financial crisis
2: Hmm.
0: or those kinds of events, which we usually use to frame a conversation. So when I, I step back and say, when well, most leaders say to me, well, how do I predict in this environment? <laughs> the answer is, well, first lesson is you stop trying to predict. Hmm. What you do instead is understand that forecasting is almost dead as a hmm. as a tool. You still need to do it, but you need to do many, many, many forecast scenarios to try and embrace the range of possible outcomes that could come your way. Hmm. So you are in the next stage of uncertainty. Uh, forget what the bell curve, you know, hmm. which is the notion that you have in your mind of you know what's most likely uh, looking ahead. If I said to you what's most likely is, let's say, you know, 1% growth in the economy and 2% inflation, well, that's what I would have said to you two years ago. Hmm. But now you would say, well, that seems most likely. And yet it seems a lot less likely right. given the volatility that's coming our way. And what are the other things that could happen? And you prepare for all of them. So that would be one thing. You 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 assume all those outcomes are coming your way and prepare for them instead of trying to predict them.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, just to kind of capture what I'm hearing, you know, I think, you know, one of the things the to start with mindset, right, that, as you said, you know, you, you know, as a leader, you cannot you must embrace this idea that you're living in this age of uncertainty and volatility and To almost just stop saying, you know, things are going to be predictable and that we we must be ready as an organization, as a team, as a as a business to manage through that. Is that right? Kind of shifting the tone of your messaging away from predictability towards this embrace of the unpredictable.
0: That's exactly right. So uh, risk management becomes a full-time occupation, mm-hmm. uh, in the firm, not, not something you do once a year when you're having the retreat with the board, mm-hmm. which is pretty common. Uh, usually when you're at the retreat, uh, the management lays out, you know, a longer term mm-hmm. scenario that they think they can build a business plan around and the board will want to see, you know, bad scenarios and good scenarios. Right. Mm-hmm. So you do a little bit of scenario planning. How would we react? And then they fall in love quite reliably. They fall in love with the original scenario. Right. Uh, right. And then that's their business plan. Hmm. And uh, that, that represents that kind of bell curve thinking. Right. We, we've, we've already found the most likely thing. And the, the other ones are what we call tail risks, right? That's, they're out in the tails of the distribution. So instead, you picture something that looks more like a square box. Which lists all the range of things that could happen to your business from left to right, and some of them are quite good. Uh, so you know you could be very happy with the outcome, but you still need to be prepared for it, even if even if it's a good thing. So you assume there's this multiplicity, and you have actually built a group of people whose job it is to be nimble and to keep you informed in real time uh, to help you manage those risks as they arise. And imagine, imagine if you're a company and I tell you all this and you get discouraged. Yes. You look out and say, well, there's so much risk I can't find anything worth investing in. All the risks hmm. look too high. Okay. And then along comes your competitor, and your competitor says, Wow, I see all the same risks, but I got this great team that mm-hmm. knows how to manage risks. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to invest in this plan. And we're going to manage the risks in real time. We're going to dedicate real resources to that, to that.
2: Mm. And
0: those people manage the risks and they convert the risk into value for the mm. firm. And your competitor is going to win, you know, if that's their approach. Mm-hmm. But you can't just you can't just assume the risks away or you know cross your fingers. Then I mean, that's that's not a strategy either. So
1: Steve, you you know on these two points, you know point one, wake up. You know you're living in this age of of volatility and point two, really building your plan around this kind of multiplicity of possibilities and risks you know you you sit on some corporate boards um which mm-hmm. which ones do you sit on
0: uh, i sit uh two big ones uh that you would know household names enbridge mm-hmm. uh which is every, yeah. many people it's have, been a yeah, long time client name. of ours i know i know <laughs> yeah, that's right executives there. and uh and the other one is uh, CGI, which is yeah, uh, as well. Uh, as well. You know, the Montreal, that's also yeah. quite well known. Now 87,000 employees
2: globally
0: yeah. uh, really, really has grown dramatically. And two, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, two great Humphrey group clients. So I bring, brings a smile to my face, but um, you know, my question is, you know, so you have this, you know, you mentioned, oh, you know, the trying to make the numbers every quarter is just such a drive for companies. And of mm-hmm. course that, you know, you have the board that falls in love as you said with the scenario when you talk to, CEOs and senior executives at these companies or and others, because I know you have a great network and work you do with your law firm sure brings you into discussions with corporate uh, leaders across all industries. You know, I imagine that they say to you, that's all well and good, but the street demands, you know, we we aim to make a number or or our stock is punished or the board asks us for this plan. How do you respond to that? You know, the kind of cognitive dissonance of acknowledging the volatility and the realities mm-hmm. of the demands that the short-term demands that you first set out to challenge
0: yeah so you, you put your finger on a good one there uh, actually beyond the two companies that i spend uh, a lot of time with here at osler my main job is to kind of be a board member for a day you know kind of drop in to client uh, board meetings kind of brainstorm with it. it's really uh Neat job. With the Neat board job. Mm-hmm. So it's a very cool uh cool opportunity that i have here at osler so i'm very pleased so anyway it gives me quite an exposure to a, quite a wide range of mm-hmm. um, top top drawer clients and so uh and i and I, so I see this so when i when i say to them well I, you know when i say well usually you fall in love like they start nodding their heads because they they remember exactly that. That's exactly what the the exercise they went through. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, what we're when we talk about these things, they realize that they need to spend more time on on risk uh, in committees. Like the I mean the risk committee has is you know a really tough uh, tough committee mm-hmm. on to but it's on the internal. Risk committee, right? The the manager management uh, risk committee needs to be a day by day kind of mm. uh, kind of occupation, mm. um, and so a full time job for a group of people. Uh, that's their job mm. to do, and so yes. But what you need to understand is that you're going to miss your numbers a lot more often in the future mm. if you don't if you don't think of it this way. So you might say, well, you know, the, every day I'm trying to make my numbers, and that's kind of risk management, right? If something bad happens mm-hmm. the quarter. So you're gonna you're gonna have trouble making your numbers. So you do some things to try and react in the quarter. Uh, well, that's that's kind of like defense. You mm-hmm. know what I'm I'm advocating, kind of strategy where indeed you're more prepared for downside risk, but mm-hmm. you're really prepared also for upside risk, mm.
1: so that you can capitalize you to, on those those there you go. opportunities. Like yeah. give me give me an totally. example of, of capital. Like, if, if, is there a company that you've worked with or observed in your time? That just saw an opportunity out of these five forces and really seized the seized the opportunity.
2: Well,
0: I, I don't really want to mention specific names, but let's let's, let's just imagine it this way. Okay. Um, so, so the you know right now we, we have uh, we you know we, interest rates are rising, mm-hmm. and so. So companies looking out, their thing their, and their CFO is saying to them, "Don't worry, I've locked in some good debt. You know, we most of our debt is in fixed rate. We got a little bit mm-hmm. of flow. You know,
2: that's kind mm-hmm. of typical mm-hmm. analysis.
0: And uh, but what's what what's going on down the street at the competitors? Uh, okay, okay. Uh, You know, so being having about uh, know, a lot of that stuff is public information you you know, you can mm-hmm, look it up. Mm-hmm. You, you can actually look up what your competitors got in terms of debt structure. It's in their quarterly report. And so if you uh, begin to suspect that maybe uh, one of these other players in your space would be experiencing a bit of a rough ride over the next two years while interest rates are rising, uh, then, you know, well, as long as my luck holds, uh, I might be in a position mm. to uh, partner up or, you know, indeed take over that that, mm. that other company. So it's 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 thinking of the risk, not just from your own point of view in a defensive way, but finding things that where it converts into opportunities like uh, for your firm. Mm. So it's, and the, more, the most important thing to remember is everybody hates risk, right. but that's, beca- that's because they forget that risk comes symmetrically. Hmm. I mean, it, it comes, to, you know, it's, Roughly half the time, it's good news.
1: Right, right. We just think of the uh, downside. It's um, what's know, that's that right. behavioral economics principle of loss aversion? You know, we fear the pain mm-hmm. of the loss more than than the,
0: the right. joy of the gain. <laughs> that's correct. We do. Uh, we aren't symmetric in our heads, but we, as if we make in a group that's the, that's their only job to be that mm-hmm. way, they'll be objective about it. They can take the emotion yeah. out. And uh, and so that that team of risk managers would be alert to things that would turn into positives uh, for the firm. So that's a simple example, but like mm. you know, in the in the real world, life is of course much more complex. But uh, right now, we've got a huge move in lots of commodity markets. Mm-hmm. You know that commodity commodity markets, you know, are positive for some and negative for others. Mm. So when there's two sides to anything like that, then there's opportunity buried there. Uh, for the firm that can be is in a position to be pulled. Uh, right. and that means keeping some of your powder dry. Right, mm-hmm. it's essentially, you know, this was back in the Black Swan, the book, The Black Swan mm-hmm. by Talib. Been a Great book. Uh, he, he, he. At that time, he said, "Look, the 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 whole notion of a." A bell curve is, is kind of a silly way to think about risk. Mm-hmm. i use a little more negative, a little more negative <laughs> it's quite caustic yeah, in his, quite, quite his caustic. description. <laughs> and so, uh, but he's basically advocating what, what he called a barbell strategy, where you have resources available to deal with the tails mm-hmm. uh, the, under the old notion of whether it's defense or offense.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: So okay, so we've got to summarize so far. Principle one: wake up. You know, you're in the age of volatility. Principle two, though there's downside, if you build your plan around the potential of upside, you can really capitalize. So the the third thing, I know we talked about this in our in our prep, and you've you've alluded to it in the last few minutes, is how you then lead your people, how you empower them and prepare them to thrive in this world. What would you say? What would your advice to these leaders, to leaders and leaders listening be on that topic?
0: Well, given given that I'm talking to you, Bart, I could say uh, you develop a great big uh, guidebook of jargon and, <laughs> and base all your leadership. I on love jargon. it.
1: Optimize them uh, on a go forward basis to leverage <laughs> their human capital.
0: <laughs> uh, but I, but, you know, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, just having one on you, but, that's
2: good. So no, but
0: but I actually I do think just as we've seen, by the way, a real world example of this, we're seeing in in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. over 100, 100, over hundred days now. And uh, I'm not an expert on this, but what I understand is that a lot of the training uh, that went on with Canadian involvement in yes. the past years uh, was about distributed management, in effect. Uh, the ability to for local commanders to be able to take their own initiative and be nimble and not always checking back uh, at, at head office, so to speak. Uh, and in contrast, the Russian army is based totally on a straight line uh, chain of command, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I think also in a firm, there's there's a big benefit to having delegated the ability. Rate, right, you know, every in a mm-hmm. in a risky world, everybody, and you know, all the you know the first, second, and third lines of defense uh, that we lay out uh, in audit committees for risk, uh, that that really applies. The first line of defense, every single individual in the firm owns the risk in their in their vicinity mm-hmm. and have therefore the ability to do something innovative to deal with it
2: and mm-hmm. then
0: and and then of course in Friday's meeting they share that experience with the rest of the, of the team and the, the team then thinks wow that's a learning we can take forward mm-hmm. this is what I mean by developing an internal risk uh, capability uh, and then the leader the more that muscle is developed and given given the ability to to be used, that's quite a delegation right for right. any leader yeah you know, you know to that you let was. that go
1: is mm-hmm.
0: yeah so so having that uh, that that degree of readiness uh, throughout the organization is something. Uh, uh, worth investing in and uh, giving people the attitude that well, a risk, is just something that I'm going to take care of today and uh, not not check with my boss or with their boss, and so on, so on. I love, I love
1: that, and I think your 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 metaphor or analogy, maybe is the better term, of the war in Ukraine is, is bang on you. You look at that concept of commander's intent, which then allows each self organizing unit to make the decisions. It's just been a, a radical, right. radical impact versus, you know, Russia, which is well chronicled, having had to send generals right to the front lines to, exactly. give, to give direction. And, and I think, you know, back to what you were saying on the, your second point around the downside, but also the upside. When you do that, what I'm hearing is that your teams aren't just able to manage risk when it arises, but they're able to capitalize on opportunities that May emerge quickly, and, and you have to jump on. Is that is that accurate?
0: Exactly right. Um, and it and and there's a, there's another important trend in the background part, which I think makes us even more important in the years that we're heading into, and that is that I believe market power in this next stage of uncertainty, market power is shifting from employer to employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so that's basically the mixture of the. Of the aging workforce, mm-hmm. the shortage of shortage of workers, along with this rise in volatility that, you know, um, people can be forgiven for thinking that if volatility rises, like I'm saying, governments will just fix it. Right. I mean, we we just came through this this pandemic. We're not even through it yet. But boy, governments did a really good job of cushioning all those blows
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, for people. Well, OK, that's great. However, my sense is that both uh, both central banks and especially governments will fall f- way short of the capacity they need to deal with all the risk that's coming their way, mm. fiscally especially. Look at the load of debt that's there now. That's got to be sort of managed in the future. And the, the fiscal demands of an aging population will be very, very big. Mm. And so there's not going to be a lot of extra capacity lying around to just suddenly deal with the next potential depression that might come, Mm -hmm. which is what was avoided over the last two years. Uh, The the next Mm -hmm. second great depression was avoided. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, okay. So all I'm saying is that the risk will remain in the system and it will be ordinary people and their companies that end up managing what I call residual risk. And so in that context, employees will lose their job more often. They'll be worried about their job more often. They'll be more conservative in their financial behavior. Companies will be managing risk. And I think that what will emerge from this with the shortage of workers is that shareholders will see a firm that's not managing risk well, and they're just going to sell that stock. Hmm. And and so the way, way this is going to turn out is that companies that will manage risk well will will retain their investors, and one of those risks is the shortage of employees. And so the power is going to shift towards employees, and you can kind of see it now. People yes, are it's saying, our,
1: I'm not going to come back to the office if you want. You know, if you want you me, go. this is this is the situation, or you know, you have to pay me more, or what, whatever the case may be.
0: <laughs> and this is just getting started. Hmm. Okay, so so imagine a firm then that you know puts so much more effort and resourcing into attract and retain. Uh, you know, you might say, well, they're just paying too much. I would say, well, they're paying what they need mm-hmm. to pay in order to achieve that business plan we talked about before. So, and shareholders will reward that. I think of it as expanding the S in in ESG, right? So it's more about your your employees. And your employees are very important stakeholders anyway. So, so all to say mm-hmm. that, that with that trend there, um, you're going to need to be to make those frontline jobs more and more feel more and more rewarding. And what better time when you know there's going right. to be a new risk every day that you want that person to manage for you and, uh, right. and you know, and let you know that they did it, which is great. You know, yeah. that, and that's the kind of leadership doing nothing. That's the. The best, best CEO job description I can think of. Is Don't just stand there, well. do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Something like that. Right. So, and, and, uh, and, and anyway, so that's my way my, I, like that. I, I see that evolving. And that's a multi-year process. Part. I'm not talking about just the next little right. while. The fourth industrial revolution will take mm. at least 10 years to unfold, mm. probably longer there'll be tremendous stress. At least 15% of global workers will be disrupted by that industrial revolution. At the same time that companies are struggling to find people. So I think one of the things companies will do is internalize that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be laying people off because of technology, you're going to say, hang on, I want to build your loyalty. I'm going to make sure you have the skills you need to keep contributing uh, to this company. Because you're going to have a hard time replacing them, no matter what.
1: It is really a new kind of paradigm for leaders. This kind of uh, you're going to have to people the inversion of the power dynamic, Mm employer-employee. And but I think also it's a great opportunity, as you described, to go. You know the the kind of relationship that leaders should be creating with their teams, where they're empowered they're able to manage the downside risk and also seize opportunities also is what employees are seeking now right. you know i just want to turn to the last point which i think ties to all this together uh, which is so you're, you're a leader your company is going to be dealing with this unprecedented volatility change hopefully it works out your team seizes the opportunities you manage the risks you grab uh, grab the um, the upside but you're really less able to command, control, direct people. And so I know one of the things that you've, you've spoken about is the importance of having values in your leadership that binds people together in a way that's not directive, but in some ways is more powerful. Can you talk a bit about that?
0: Yes. Uh, I, uh, you've, you've phrased it well, and I, I do a little bit about this in the book. You know, it comes from... Uh, mainly from my time at Columbia University, mm-hmm. where the Columbia Senior Executive Program is a, is a values-based leadership uh, program, which is quite excellent. Mm. The idea is uh, to understand better yourself, first of all. That's mm-hmm. a really important starting point. Uh, but then to to do a few exercises with your leaders so that they come to understand themselves and let and their values kind of float more to the surface. So then, and then what happens then in that group is they realize they share a lot of values. Okay. Sometimes, uh, sometimes there's a, an outlier. And you think be, it makes you more acknowledging of how another value could actually matter to your team, mm-hmm. and and uh, you never thought about it much before. Those kinds of things. But mm-hmm. the point is that that kind of rinsing gives that team a basis for parallelism or a, a sense of uh, common purpose I think that's the, probably the right. best and in, in a more volatile environment like the one we're describing the leader's job will be always to kind of rise above the fray and say you know don't worry uh we're still on track I can still see I can still see uh that vision let me share with you why I'm still confident right and, and lay, laying that out so that you're just buttressing or reinforcing that down there in the trench folks are like all they can see is all kinds of noisy stuff that they're dealing with there you know and and uh, as long as they can understand well how it connects to the greater to the mm-hmm. greater good uh, it, it'll work out and uh, and so those values are what anchor that, that that builds the trust between the people so that not only employees uh, trust the, the the boss, but the other way around.
2: Mm. Uh,
0: that's obviously really important in that thing we talked before about delegating that ability to react, take advantage, what have you. Uh, that requires a high level of trust uh, running through uh, the organization. Uh, you don't have to check to see if it's okay if you work from home for the next week. Because, you know, daycare is closed. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the boss thinks family first right. anyway. And so, uh, and you know that the boss also knows that that attitude means you, you will lay down in front of a train for the company. Uh, and and because that's exactly the values that the company has. Yeah. And so uh, that, that kind of uh, cross or, or kind of reinforcement works both mm-hmm. directions and gives you a very powerful, very powerful team. And I think uh, do, do, evolving in a way so that even more of that kind of power goes to the employees, uh, I think is only going to reinforce the the performance of this kind of uh, management model. Yeah,
1: I think that's that's so well put, you know, that I mean, it's really a, a kind of an evolution of what leadership is, right? You know, if we think about this, if I'm summarizing the future, you're in this I mean, the future is now, <laughs> first of all, this, yeah. what your book is making clear. There's no, this isn't 20 years from now. So one, we're living in an age of incredible volatility and predictability, which creates you know risks that we never saw, but also opportunities. And two, so leaders need to, to lead with that mindset and then build plans in anticipation of that. But in three, prepare your people, empower your people to make the, to manage that risk, to make the decisions and fourth Mm -hmm. and finally, um, to attract, retain them and keep them buttressed from the, uh, the waves that are going to hit really have clear values that you articulate. Don't give them specific direction, but give them clarity about what you're, what you're doing together. Um, does that, does that summarize, you know, kind of your, your advice for leaders today?
0: It does, uh, with maybe one last uh, little thing to add to it, which is that uh, if I I was a leader and heard that, I would say, this is going to cost me a lot of money.
1: Right. (laughs) And what Uh, would you say to them?
0: What would you say? Well, I I would say, yes, yes, it will. I would say, first of all, let's just remind ourselves that the share of income, global income, going to workers is at the lowest point ever measured. Hmm. That you know, the share going to capital, you know, in the sense of Piketty's book, if you like, uh, mm-hmm. capital. A long sweep of history. This is the kind of uh, kind of inflection point where you know, the deep past, revolutions have happened,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so I do believe that the shift in power will will mean a shift also in that share of income going to going to uh, workers, and it may it may take the form in lots of companies as increased share participation, right? So right. That they're actually owners. Uh, that's a form of empowerment right there uh, that is common in lots of companies, of course, but not as common as you might think. And certainly down at the low levels, it's hardly common at all. Hmm. And so it may become more and more common. And things like defined benefit pension plans may make a ma- major renaissance.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think, because these are risk-reducing things. That's what I'm I'm getting at. That, you hmm. know, you, that people will face an array of risks they haven't faced uh, in the past, and if the company helps them manage those risks, that'll be a form. You know, the company is better able to manage risks than than an individual is, for sure. Right, risks around your mortgage, or, or, or risks around job losses, temporary or whatever. So I think that uh, we we can see quite a change in the way companies. Uh, tr- that's what I meant by the S of ESG. And uh, and uh, in that way, yes, it will cost some money, but it will cost a lot more if you are not prepared for that next major event that is coming our way, a uh, piece of volatility mm-hmm. that uh, drastically hits the firm. And the shareholders will look at you and say, well, why weren't you making sure that you had a strong and loyal workforce right. so that you could manage through this? I'm just saying that, again, go back to forget about the bell curve. Don't don't think of these as tail events. Think of these as everyday events. There's this old saying that uh, we think of black swans as things that you know no one ever expected them. But every story we talk to people about when we're describing history starts with a black swan. Right. I, I you know, like they it. Become, <laughs> they become so common that we frame every conversation right. <laughs> around around so called black swans. They aren't black swans. They they are they are things that were catalyzed right by some rogue event you know it could be a bat from wuhan or a lunatic in moscow it can be any of these things that catalyzes these major events but the major events are driven by the forces that we know are already there so
1: and, and there will be more and and i think that there will be more you know what i'm taking mm-hmm. away from this is you know a perspective on their coming but also a surprisingly hopeful message <laughs> you know that as leaders this may pose you know, risk, but it also creates an opportunity, not only an opportunity for your business, your organization, but to redefine the kind of leadership relationship that you have with employees, to empower them and to lead and connect them to your values. And, and that's actually very fulfilling and very hopeful. So um, I appreciate your you sharing this with me, Steve. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, it's been my pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me
1: and we will put a link to your book in the show notes for everyone listening read it it's easy to read i I often am reminded that quotation might be apophical but uh, i think it was mark twain who said excuse the length of this letter i didn't have time to be brief (laughs) you know and i think it's (laughs) it's it's, speaks to the fact that clear writing is easy to understand writing uh, but takes hard work so your your book certainly defines that so thank you for writing the book and uh, for coming on the Inspire Podcast, Oh, it's
0: very kind. Thank you, Bart.
1: Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the uh, Steve Paulus, uh, the former uh, head of the Bank of Canada. Such a uh, bright guy and a committed public servant, and yet the humility and understated way with which he goes about his work uh, just shines through. Uh, It was a real privilege to have him on the pod and to learn about these five forces of disruption and their implications for leadership. So get his book. We're putting the link to it in the show notes. I've read it. It's an easy read. Easy not because it's simple, but because it's so well written and uh, well worth uh, picking up for any leader today. Next time on the pod, I'm joined by uh, Jennifer Campbell. And Jen uh, also has a book. She's written a book about change and uh, multiple conversations that leaders need to have to create change. And it's really a remarkable deep dive into something that uh, is so rarely successful, which is getting people to embrace change. And Jen has uh, literally written a book on this. So I hope you'll tune in for that pod. It's uh, in this time of. Uh, rapid disruption, as Steve talked about, being able to lead change is so fundamentally important. Look forward to having you back next time on the Inspire Podcast.